0: I'm Alex Shaw,
1: I'm Sharon Shaw, and And
0: welcome welcome to to... School of Movies, Godzilla vs. Kong.
2: This is our only chance.
1: So bows to no
0: one with us this time around we have longtime friend of the show Brendan Agnew of Synapse hello Brendan
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and Kaiju expert Dan Hetner of the Leftover Army podcast hello Dan
2: I bow to no one
0: Dan and I have been planning this show since just before King of the Monsters when this film was announced. And we've been counting the gradually increasing days until relief. You can hear us on his show, Sharon and I guested, coming soon. I'll let Dan tell you about what that is at the end. Now, this has been a strange series because... It's it's remarkably accomplished from some points of view, and it's underachieving from others, and in some cases, it's flat out amazing. The original Godzilla in 2014 scored the highest of the films with critics, hitting 76% and making $529 million on a $160 million budget. Three years later, in 2017, Skull Island, scored just 1% lower critically with 75, cost a bit more, and made a bit more. $180 million budget, 566 box office. Godzilla 2 King of the Monsters, which we recorded an immensely enthusiastic show on in 2019, seems to remain the favorite with a lot of fans of big monsters hitting each other, though the critics panned it with 42% saying it was boring and stupid. How these same critics found Gareth Edwards' murky, slumberous offering more entertaining and engaging, I have no idea, but that's how the critics responded. And the audiences also slept on it. It cost more than Skull Island, closer to $200 million, and it made less with 386 at the box office. And that is why I had misgivings that we would ever see the follow-up. Godzilla vs. Kong, I just I didn't think it would see the light of day. If your series scores worse each time and becomes less profitable each time, it gets canned. That's how movie series work. For perspective, the Roland Emmerich Zilla film in 1998 scored 15% with the critics. Although, what can you expect if you include an idiot mayor modelled on Roger Ebert, calling him Mayor Ebert and saying, That's you. <laughs> It cost $150 million, it made $379 million, which is not too bad, back in 1998 money. Uh, No sequel for that thing. And it was loathed by the Japanese and considered an affront to Godzilla. Although, much like the Super Mario Brothers movie, it has its ardent fans. So, like I said, this movie is a bonus. I I prefer King of the Monsters straight out the gate, and, and that's because there, there are many more strengths that exist in that one, but I don't necessarily want to, like, deliver a laundry list of what this film lacks, just that King of the Monsters went that extra mile repeatedly, and this one delivered a, kind of exactly what it was setting out to do. Although... There are questions regarding what it might have been. Now, I've not actually looked into the the how of how this was made. I've got a feeling that at least Dan might know a little bit more than me. I've heard a couple of things because my guess is from certain clues, the script for this thing was sitting around for quite a while and they only made minor changes to some sections. It would, f- it would appear that from looking through the film as you sort of, like, go through it, that there, you can you can feel large chunks have been carefully removed and left on the cutting room floor. And it should be just really choppy and nonsensical, but it's actually really pretty straightforward. The synopsis, for you folks who haven't seen it yet, is that Kong has been kind of under observation since the 70s and is now being kind of enclosed in Skull Island. And uh, his handlers, the humans, are kind Kind of worried that eventually godzilla who was recently crowned king of the monsters there was a big event ceremony um will just come looking for him and just will, will not want another apex kaiju titan uh on this planet so there's kind of an inevitability about their clashing and they decide that after godzilla's been trashing various areas with no real explanation he's suddenly much more hyper aggressive they need a protector so they bring kong from skull island in in a kind of way that in the past has always ended up far worse for kong like you bring kong away from skull island he dead
3: godzilla attacks him along the way it's also like almost a Jules Verne pulp adventure for like that entire middle act. It turns yeah. into Journey of the Center of the Earth with big-ass monsters.
0: Yeah, they go to the center oh, of yeah. the Earth where it is hollow, and there is effectively a smaller planet inside the planet, but close to the mantle, so you get this um, gravity effect where if you jump up from the ground and you're the size of Kong, uh, you will then float up to this ceiling above that. And there is light coming from Hafuoshima, <laughs> and, and then Kong goes back up to the surface in a way we'll describe later, um, and has a fight with Godzilla in Hong Kong, and then Mecha Godzilla, who's been being created in a lab, there, there was a one of King Ghidorah's heads from the end of uh, King of the Monsters has been rewired into its brain, so it's, it's technically like a it's the doomsday of the General Zod. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, of King Ghidorah <laughs> actually they have one other thing in common which is that Tom Holkenberg provided much of the score for Batman v Superman and scored the entirety of this film he called the Doomsday track Tuesday so it wouldn't spoil anything if someone got the soundtrack early and he called the Mechagodzilla track Mega it fights Godzilla. Godzilla has already beaten Kong, but then Kong gets back up and then helps Godzilla to beat Mechagodzilla, who was beating Godzilla. And then the two really kaiju
3: wiping the floor with him, too. Oh, like yeah. It's, it's uh, Literally, Claire.
0: yeah, yeah. He's just dragging He's him just along scared. and just He's smashing just up a park. Look,
2: um, so he already had the main event fight against Kong. He was tired, winded. It's like a gauntlet match. Yeah. And then
0: there is a fatal three-way, and they eventually destroy Mechagodzilla in spectacular fashion. And Kong gets to go and live, well, Godzilla departs, and Kong gets to go and live in the hollow earth. So there's kind of a Godzilla lives up above, Kong lives down below, and thus they don't have to be at each other's throats all the time. The end. And that really probably is capital T, capital E, end. Actually, I'll tell you right now how Kong gets out of the hollow earth and up to the surface. He basically instant messages Godzilla, who was hanging around in Hong Kong. Godzilla looks down at the ground and goes, okay. And burns a massive tunnel all the way down into the hollow earth, potentially hundreds of miles, throwing two very different pressures and atmospheres together. It's crazy if you start thinking about the physics of it. But it's a Godzilla movie, so I'm fine with it. So, that's the synopsis. Does anyone know what also, what, what this was going to be, or what was removed? Because I heard uh, um, Adam Wingard mention in one of the uh, interviews that there was a five-hour cut, which is another way of saying there was a work print with everything in it, and uh, but that he released the one that is the right version of itself for right now. The one that everybody would want. And we'll go into why this cut of it works for what it was intended. But what could it have been? What else was there? Anyone?
2: Well, a lot of what was going to be in there is more just expansion, particularly with a bit more stuff with like uh Bernie, Madison and Josh, and then a bit more stuff with uh, uh Walter Simmons and uh, Ren Sarazawa, which is kind of flushing their stuff out a bit more. And it was presumably cut for timing to shear this one down to a bit more of a under-two-hour cut.
0: Yeah. The master it has to serve is everyone's been away from the theatres for almost a year in many cases and uh, haven't seen uh, a massive, massive event blockbuster for ages. So they wanted to make this monkey-punch lizard. They wanted to go with brevity. They wanted to go with lightness. They wanted to go with pace. And they wanted to go with not getting it bogged down.
3: From what from what I can tell, like there's you can definitely see. I've seen this movie like three times now, and so I've started kind of like looking around the corners to see where things might have gone. Mm -hmm. And like there's some definite moments of like, okay, that was obviously ADR to patch together two scenes where like there was obviously going to be more stuff here between like Ren Sarazawa being named Sarazawa. Like you, obviously that's supposed to be someone's relative from a previous movie and there's like an entire narrative chunk of that that's just not present. Yeah. Um, there's the the whole bit with um, the storm that's in Kong Skull Island they have to fly through. It apparently comes in and takes over the island, and Rebecca Hall's character makes mention of our meddling has already wrecked havoc on Kong's environment. So, like, there feels like hmm. there was definitely more setup involving that. Yeah, and the, the
1: fact that they the, get
3: to the ship really quickly, the, the, so the fast.
1: People who were living on Skull Island in uh,
0: Kong Skull, Skull Island,
1: island um, are gone. Uh, Jir is all that's left and it's... They're gone. See, you missed it. One line, one line Rebecca Hall gets to say that they've all been wiped out.
2: Wiped out. The storm storm took them all out, except for her and that's why Kong started looking after her because she's orphaned because of it.
0: Right.
2: And that's
3: why they have that 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 dome because outside the dome it's like, you know, we we see the dome and outside of it it's always that that hurricane rain sort of thing like that. Right.
2: It's the, the basically storm. what happened, yeah, the the storm that always, in every iteration, cloud cover and whatnot, and in Kong Skull Island, it's a big electrical storm that surrounds the island, thus covering it from the naked eye and whatnot. Yeah. That's just kind of expanded now to engulf the entire thing, lock, sock, and barrel. Oh,
0: so actually, what I was saying to Sharon this morning when we were walking the dog was Peter Jackson's take on Skull Island was that it was much bigger originally and was slowly being devoured by the sea see that effectively what they get to is the center of a civilization and everything else is underwater now and so kong's habitat was slowly being eroded so there is a certain inevitability and a tragedy about kong's very existence he's on his own there he's the last of his kind we see the skeletons of his relatives in that one as well and he's melancholy so it's and when Anne Darrow communicates with him, he's feeling the end himself. So, but when he gets taken off the island and exploited, that just speeds up Kong's extinction. As as in this deliberate fashion and outlines quite how much of our meddling is responsible for uh, uh, destruction of the natural world. Luckily, in that one, all the natives were horrible, racist depictions of uh, tribal folks, so uh, we don't have to worry about them getting swallowed up by the sea.
2: But these natives were nice. Part of that, actually, in uh, Peter Jackson 2005 is that because the island's erosion and falling into the sea and everything their civilization had regressed. So, like, the Mm. wall that's that's built there was done long ago, and now, you know, they've regressed, and it's just been there for a long time. So they're a
0: shadow of what was there before.
2: Yeah, so they've gone savage because, like, Mm. their lands, their crops, all that's gone.
0: And they're human sacrificing to Kong, their protector, the one who can save them from the bad dinosaurs. It was unusual and well received to uh, see the uh, uh, n- um, native people in um, the, the 70s being shown as remarkably balanced and uh, you know they, they didn't have that the noble savage trope hmm. plastered on them but they were definitely self-possessed people. Yeah,
1: there was there was definitely an emphasis on the the positive elements of the way they were they were choosing to live rather than mm. this sense of well they're really isolated so they haven't got access to the technology that makes us really cool. Yeah.
3: What was happening with this is it, from everything that I've heard, Adam Wingard came in and he kind of like knocked together the story with the screenwriter. Right. And so it seemed like when when it came time to release this, because like obviously this came out, it was supposed to come out a year ago. It was supposed yeah. to be like March of 2020. Yeah. And I would be willing to wager if it had come out then- it, we might have had a movie that was closer to King of the Monsters, two hours ten minutes, right. and we might have filled in a few of those of those holes. But once it became clear it was going to do like this hybrid release of a first big movie back to theaters and going to streaming. Someone was like, it has to be under two hours long. Mm. You've, you know, got to make the cuts to make it work. And so Wingard just decided, OK, we're just going to kind of focus on Kong's hero's journey as yeah. like our central character.
2: Uh, Michael Dory, the director for KOTM, he did a first draft for this movie, knowing he wasn't g- g- going to direct it, but did that with the screenwriter of KOTM and then pass that on to Wingard and his team and everything. And would
0: have been a good idea for them to do that for Star Wars Episode Nine.
2: No, you're kidding, right? But, <laughs> mm, mm, yeah, mm, mm, imagine. Yeah, but like we don't know, because in that in year interim period when it was supposed to be released last year and then came out this year, there was reshoots and some stuff that was done. Right. So we don't know how much of this is, what the ratio of Doherty to Wingard and mm. like their individual takes on it is. We don't know what the actual ratio is altogether here.
0: Yeah. Okay. I um, think uh, Bob Chipman mentioned something along the lines of, it feels like this is actually not one, but two movies that have been bolted together in a fairly smooth fashion. The first one being discovering the hollow earth. The second one being Godzilla versus Kong.
3: Something like that. It's like, it fe- it's it got all the characters to be a direct sequel to King of the Monsters yeah. and Kong Skull Island, but yeah. It only has enough time to really sort of be a Skull Island sequel with extended cameos.
0: Yeah, that's that's a good way of putting it. Actually, the um, uh, the the um, the fact that Godzilla is uh, is it gets first billing on this one, uh, I think it's that is that done to rights, Stan, because they they couldn't call it anything else.
2: Uh, probably because the original version is King Kong versus Godzilla, yeah. so, you the know, there's holders. already, within the Godzilla universe, there is enough confusion about names right, as right. is. So, thankfully, they did one thing to try to smooth that out a little.
0: Oh, one thing that, uh, Sharon and I noticed when we were looking through the, uh, the name, uh, checks... Eileen Andrews, played by Rebecca Hall, magnificent actress. Always, I've never seen Rebecca Hall not be brilliant. She's like the Stanley Tucci of actresses. But then we were going through the characters that were missed out from King of the Monsters and just seemed to have been kind of swept aside. And kind of, a, we, we've got new ones. We, can, we don't need to focus on these ones. Eileen Chen was played by Zhang Ziyi, uh, and also her sister, the rarely seen Doctor Ling. The, they were the Mothra twins. I would be willing to bet folding money that the Eileen of this film was supposed to be Eileen Chen. And that they went, oh, fuck it, we can't get Chang Ziyi for this reason. So let's change Eileen's surname to Andrews. Andrews.
1: And uh, the spelling of Eileen in both cases is actually I-L-E-N-E, which is a very unusual spelling of Eileen. So it's not even just a case of both of them thought they'd use Eileen.
0: Did anyone take that back? Because I want my folding money. There's no way this is a mistake.
1: <laughs> also, I believe uh, Zhang Ji was on the list of originally announced cast right. and then um, yeah, she disappeared, which a lot of people thought it was just that they'd filmed some scenes with her that yep. got cut. But I, I think you're onto something with that.
0: And it's it's a, a, a double-edged sword, as are most of my criticisms about this film, because uh, to sw- to lose Zhang uh, Ji and, and get uh, some uh, prominence for a, an Asian female actor in a non-martial arts capacity, which is important, uh, would have been a big win. But, also, re-
1: she was great in King of the Monsters. Yes,
0: she was, and it, it cements <clears throat> her further into this um, this universe. But... Rebecca Hall is also fantastic, so I suppose it's it's like they're not even swapping it out for, for her out for someone bad. It's it's uh, just a shame.
2: I, I, I'm not. I might take you up on that bet at some point here because because Eileen Chen is so connected to Mothra mm-hmm. in very direct ways. I feel like yeah, there was probably a part of the script that would have had that that had. Her and her sister and then something to do with Mothra in the movie but then some point down the line that got cut out entirely whether pre or during filming I'm not sure but mm-hmm. I would have to imagine that ultimately the decision was made to not have her at all because it's she's too tied up in Mothra to not have that then be a another piece of this puzzle yeah, and yes. I feel like yeah so I might take you up on that bet oh
0: okay then let's uh mm. let's bet some folding money on that <laughs>
2: $10 slash pounds, whatever the conversion rate is? I
0: think it's basically one-to-one at the moment. <laughs> sure. <laughs> no,
2: we'll go with that
0: then. Whichever country's doing the, uh, like, elected the biggest idiot, so we lose. <laughs> <laughs> the, like I said, there is a double-edged sort of criticism, because almost all of the things that are troublesome, problematic, or uh, lacking about the movie actually have a flip side to them. I'm going to start with one which actually doesn't have that much of a good uh, flip side to it. Um, And then we can move on to the ones that definitely do. Uh, Bernie Hayes, this has been mentioned a lot. It was mentioned on the uh, Discord several times. The conspiracy theorist podcaster infiltrating Apex cybernetics to uh, eventually he found out about um, Mechagodzilla. And I just wrote in brackets while watching it the second time, read the room over the past, not even five years, 20 years. This is not the early 90s with... It was actually kind of healthy to be sceptical of the government, the company line you were being fed by what was allowed to get out back in the 90s. Since 9-11, there have been truthers, the ones who are like, this was an inside job, jet fuel cannot melt steel girders. And then there were birthers, the ones obsessed with Barack Obama's birth certificate. He's a Kenyan, he's a secret Kenyan who snuck into the White House with his Kenyan ways! And then the Flat Earthers. Scientists have been lying to us for centuries. The Earth is a giant tabletop. A Nazi told me. Don't tell the Flat Earthers about Hollow Earth. They will go nuts. (laughs) That's a table underneath a table.
1: Flip's table.
0: (laughs) But, I mean, just... There were two things that kind of made me think this script's been sitting around for a while. One, this character who is a hero in the in the film and saves the day and is kind of like what the nerds were doing in Transformers, but not done horribly, as in the original Michael Bay version. And then Bob went along and said exactly the same thing. I was like, yeah, this is the guy who said, I ate the whole plate. Anthony Anderson. Only he's actually yep. a decent enough character. But he showers with bleach and um, Julian Dennison talks about drinking bleach and I'm like,
3: Supposing we hit the body with a tremendous, uh, whether it's ultraviolet or just very powerful light. And I think you said that hasn't been checked, but you're gonna test it. And then I said, supposing you brought the light inside the body, which you can do either through the skin or uh, in some other way. And I think you said you're gonna test that too. Sounds interesting. <laughs> right. And then I see the disinfectant where it knocks it out in a minute, one minute. And is there a way we can do something like that? Uh by injection inside or or almost a cleaning. Because you see it gets on the lungs and it does a tremendous number of the lungs. So it'd be interesting to check that. So that you're gonna to have to use medical doctors,
0: with. but it sounds it sounds interesting to me. This was definitely filmed and in the can before Trump said, maybe, I don't know, seems like injecting bleach might clean the body. But if you do it and you die, it's not my fault. I'm just saying it's an idea. I'm just saying it out loud at a press conference that millions of people are listening to and trusting me on. Nothing of this is my fault. Nothing of this is my responsibility. I'm just throwing out ideas. But when that happens... <laughs> You cut that bit out of the film or you reword it and you just have them say, what about this um, detergent which they use for something? And just like you add some ADR and you don't talk about drinking bleach! But they also mentioned yeah, no. Tide Pods, which feels like the script was written in, like, 2015. It was actually 2018, around about the time Black Panther came out, that kids were deliberately ingesting Tide Pods on YouTube.
2: It's it's a real... Like, this comes up on uh, my uh, podcast covering this movie a couple times, this very thing of, yeah, read the room, guys. It's not the right time to... You know, uh, uh, put on a pedestal people who have these crazy conspiracy theories about things, and yeah, it's not the right time. And the bleach thing, I brought that up specifically too, because it—how can you not hear that and then think about forty-five standing there going, "You know, actually, yeah. it sounds apologize. like he's trolling I us." Apologize again for our country, I apologize <laughs> again and again. <laughs>
3: I will say that there, there is an appreciable cultural difference and I'm not going to try and speak as an authority on that because it's not my lane, but there is a definite difference between like a, a black man distrustful of the government specifically because of like the history of the government's experience uh, hmm. experiments on like different sections of non-white Just population G-G. during, du- well, during the United States, very recent history. So like, yeah, there's, there there could have been like something there that like I'm not saying it would have been like worth wading into the now QAnon infested waters of conspiracy <laughs> theorists, but like I, I at least appreciate that we're we're looking at a different sort of, like, cultural readings of that role than if you had cast someone who didn't look like Brian Tyree Henry. Yeah.
1: I do think part of the issue there, and this does feed in with what I was, um, with the way I was looking at how they could have made that better and still essentially kept the character the, the same thing, because he is a pretty decent character, and it's a, a good performance. I like his um, his energy with the kids and mm. his... Um, Dynamic with Millie Bobby Brown in particular is is really cool.
0: He's funny, but he's not just the comic relief.
1: Exactly, and wacky that's guy. something yeah. that they could have worked with if they had, um, like the fact that in his opening scene he refers to himself as a whistleblower. <clears throat> if they had gone down that route instead of just the, uh, the the stepping mm-hmm. into the silly conspiracy theories, they could quite easily have made him more of a Snowden character who's been deliberately discredited in order that the, the truth that's in his research doesn't get out. And the fact Basically
3: that he, Gene Hackman from Enemy of the State. Yeah, yeah the fact yeah. that
1: he works for Apex is a big part of that. He's not just some random who's found stuff on the internet and had two and two made 4076. He's actually seen this stuff in his you know as as he's going about his job and and whether that's something that they could have changed and edited it to make it seem more like that or whether that is something that would have had to be there from from the inception of the character I'm not sure but that's really if they were going to do this character that I think is the direction that they should have taken it
2: yeah and i absolutely agree we brought that up on my show as well uh the ah. supplemental part of it where i had a small group of friends we were all you know safe and everything come by watch the movie and then record and we brought that exact thing up of just make him a whistleblower not the kooky guy mm-hmm. yeah. and if
3: and if you wanted to go the the route of like having him be like a little bit wild with the conspiracy like build that into the character of like yeah I I put the, you know, crazy stuff into my podcast to get people to actually listen to it because now that there's giant fucking dinosaurs roaming around, corporate conspiracies are less sexy, so I've got to get attention somehow. You know, when he's actually talking about lizard people and it's like, oh, no, oh, dear. Mm." Maybe not. That's a really
1: good point.
3: (laughs) You want this character nowhere near Pizzagate.
2: Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I like that idea, though, of making him, like, the the crazy conspiracy stuff is an act for the viewership and whatnot, but he's not actually like that necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. I like that.
1: Also, the other thing um, that I was saying to Alex earlier today, the the reason that the conspiracy theorist trope in the 90s was was quite a positive character is because back then the idea that you needed people to dig into what the government would and wouldn't allow out there um, was a huge we were, thing stuff we was were still up.
0: surfing on woodward and bernstein Absolutely, actually uncovering corruption uncovering
1: information was a, was a really huge deal and that was what you needed those unique and, and individual people to do right.
0: and that criminals What's, could in fact especially criminals at the highest level could be brought to justice via following conspiracies as opposed to mm. the criminals at the highest level utilising crazed conspiracy nuts to, in fact, cover for their shit by distracting them with tales of Satan-worshipping, child cult <laughs> bullshittery. Yeah.
1: But the idea of And this,
0: crisis actors and everything else.
1: In this day and age when the internet is not only a thing but also... Is, is connected to absolutely everything that we do. The idea that information is just the tip of an iceberg that you have to dig through to find the truth is just not the case. What's actually happening is we get dumped with all the information and the skill these days is not digging for the truth, it's sifting and filtering through all of the bullshit yeah. to find the stuff in there that is actually
0: true. It's like you're doing a lucky dip but all of the blobs are in fact lumps of shit and that's the lies.
1: Yeah. If you want to hide a needle, you don't put it in a haystack. You put it in a big pile of needles.
2: Thank you for saying exactly what I was going to say. Better than I could have.
0: <laughs> so yeah, we'll, we can leave off him because uh, we, we've made that point. And he, he is a good uh, like the the central dynamic is of Millie Bobby Brown, who is wonderful as always, and Julian Dennison of uh, Hunt for the Wilder People and Deadpool Two, who is. Fantastic, as always, and he's got a, fa- he's he's amazing. Got a great He is my
1: MVP, by the way. He was my favourite <laughs> character in the whole film. He was brilliant. As soon as I saw him, I was like, oh, yes.
0: But yeah, they're skittering around the place trying to find out what this uh, uh, company is doing. And then there's the guy who's... It kind of reminded me of a weak source version of the big villain uh, Thanatos from Gargoyles. I'm not that familiar with the Gargoyles that much, but do you get what I mean with this? Like he was.
2: Oh, that's perfect. Thank you. Okay,
0: right. So he's kind of like an evil Tony Stark, but he thinks he's righteous, and he's created Mechagodzilla for what reasons again?
1: His motives are cloudy to me throughout this whole thing. <laughs> the, the bit when um, they, they've. He's, he's meeting with Lind for the first time. That's uh, Alexander Skarsgård.
0: Oh, does he go, life is good, but it could be better? I
1: can't remember. Oh, I don't think he says that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but he's there. He's talking about Hollow Earth. He's uh, talking about funding his project and, and getting him down into Hollow Earth and giving him these incredibly advanced vehicles mm-hmm. to allow him to do so. At no point did I ever hear him hint at why or what it is that he hopes to yeah. find down there.
0: I mean, John Hammond did tell them straight away, yeah, I want to
1: make, make dinosaurs, dinosaurs for my
0: dinosaur park and this will drive kids out of their minds.
1: And it I wasn't bullshitting. I concluded fairly early on, OK, they're looking for some kind of energy source. That makes sense. That's what people are always looking for, whatever uh-huh. the modern equivalent of oil is. But then when Maya starts talking about how expensive these vehicles were and how much energy it takes to power them, I started thinking, <sighs> couldn't you just use that? <laughs>
0: No, well, we had to invent energy. a new energy source just to go and find this but new, new energy, source. energy source.
1: And at which point I'm like, okay, why are you down here again?
2: Uh, continue, guys. Sorry. <laughs> there, There is actually some very interesting subtle stuff throughout the movie. Okay. My take on the character is that you know, he's, his line officially about Mechagodzilla is... And he does mention it, but not specifically to Linda at the beginning, is, you know, if we have this energy source, we'll be able to have something that can rival Godzilla and protect humanity. Okay. Which is his line. He keeps saying that, like, you know, to, to protect humanity from Godzilla and other titans. But the reality is that he doesn't want humanity to be safe. He wants to be the one to save humanity. He wants... That status, that moniker, that praise and everything. That's a very maniac. Lex
0: Luthor desire. Exactly,
2: yeah. exactly. But there's subtle things throughout the movie that kind of hint. If it's, it wasn't obvious from the get-go of Mechagodzilla, but like when we're seeing when uh, Bernie's heading into work and we're seeing this commercial for Apex that's playing inside the Apex facility, which is creepy and a little 1984-esque, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it's talking about... Uh, robotics, artificial intelligence, uh, expanding the human mind, all things that end up leading to Mechagodzilla eventually. So there's a lot of, he's tied, seems like he's tied up all this stuff just to be able to get to the point of making Mechagodzilla to then, you know, stop the Titans, kill Godzilla, whatever, so that now humans are again the dominant race. But more Mm -hmm. specifically, I Um, The dominant human.
1: That sounds like something that could have come off Emma Russell's theory that humans were a a facet of the Titan construct. That that humanity was the thing that was added to the Orca in order to create the Alpha sound.
3: Yeah, Mm -hmm. because we're we're a bunch of horny, murderous carnivores, and (laughs) I I know not and and not like and not everyone has has seen this but the the Netflix um South Korean sci-fi movie Space Sweepers has a character very much who explores this sort of territory i i think yep. he does it better because they give him more time to actually do it but oh he's, he's like the- bone chilling in that movie Absolutely. that is a movie to watch folks
1: and man. i i just just to yeah. insert on this but uh, before i let you carry on brendan i wrote down space sweepers as well because the the hollow earth effect mm. to me reminded me very much of the the interior of the the new
3: Earth. Yeah, exactly. Continue. And so, and so, like you've got like I think Dan was absolutely correct. This guy he wants to be the one to save humanity. He's got like images of him, so, like you know, you know, telling you, you know, Apex, we're not going anywhere, and neither are you. And what it's like, like I want to line. <laughs> <laughs>
1: which it is a bit. Which I mean, you know,
3: once uh, I feel like this could have been like an interesting. There, there are some things about this movie where I absolutely love how balls out they go with the committing to the crazy sci-fi concepts that you find in the original Godzilla movies. Of like, oh, in this one, aliens talk to us through human bodies for some reason. Oh, in this one, there's just a bunch of people out in rocket ships in space stations. And in this mm-hmm. one, yeah, you've got the the Titans emerging have completely rewritten some people's ideas of how humans should interact in a society. And just the the whole like crazy inner monorail through like florida all the way to hong kong and like stuff like that is like really fun stuff that i think like having more time to explore that would have resulted in a richer movie um but i i remain impressed that we can take little pieces of this and kind of like piece it together and like oh yeah this is the guy he wants to be the one to save humanity even for all that the movie is almost practically playing on fast forward for like at least the first half
0: Okay, so the double-edged sword on uh, the forgetting of a whole bunch of characters. Uh, we've got Alan Jonah played by Charles Dance in the first one. Was he killed or was he looking at King Ghidorah's head and going, Oh, the king will one day awaken, let the games begin at the end of that film.
3: Did he? Let the games yeah, he gets Yeah, he gets the, the skull. I'm not sure if, if Apex gets it from him, but right. he definitely gets so it from the So he's still alive
0: side. then, but he's not part of this movie. Um, yeah. Yeah. So Eileen Chen and her sister, Dr. Ling, are not in this. Dr. Rick Stanton, so that's Bradley Whitford, gone. Um, and they, int- as you say, they introduced the son of Sarazawa, uh, who is, if you remember, Ken Watanabe's "Let Them Fight" uh, guy. He had such a wonderful presence in King of the Monsters. So. When you hear the name Serizawa, if you're a fan, especially if you've been a fan of Godzilla since the 1954 version, you um, you sit up and take a sip of coffee and go, oh, cool, Serizawa. Oh, that was it? Shit! So, yeah, that is cutting room floor-related stuff. Uh, yes, very much. Yeah, there's, there's no fanfare there. And, and I understand this because to remove these characters... Um, they pare down the story so that we can focus on the ape. Uh, Otherwise, we're talking about world-building for a now-abandoned world. There is very much a sense of finality, but not funereal finality, about this. It feels... Well, first of all, it feels like the greatest wrestling match of the decade, for a start. That's how I see this film. They, they, um, the, the Kong v. Godzilla stuff has the energy of some of the best WWE matches, or indeed the various other uh, wrestling communities that I keep getting told are also awesome. Um, it has that kind of... Like when, when Godzilla first turns up under the uh, sea and then King Kong sort of looks down, it's like, and then he sort of bursts up. It's like... Godzilla is on the boat! He is on the boat! It's just
3: that level of joy.
1: But with that, and with what the trailer looked like originally, I thought Gia and Madison were going to come out as managers.
0: (laughs) You say that, but that's another one of the double-edged swords. Gia, the little girl who communicates with Kong via sign language, uh, which uh, feels related to um, Caesar... In uh, The Planet of the Apes, there's a pedigree there. Andy Serkis played Kong in the 2005 Peter Jackson version, as well as Caesar. And in The Planet of the Apes, both Terry Notary, who played Rocket, and Toby Kebble, who played Cobra, provided performance capture for Kong in Skull Island. But all of these apes, able to communicate their internal feelings through sign language, connect back to an existing, real-life lowland gorilla named Coco who was taught sign language and could understand 2000 words of English and communicate her feelings back to her trainer. She was a remarkable soul and better than most people. She met with actor Robin Williams, Leo DiCaprio, Mr. Rogers, Betty White. She thought of herself as a queen because of all the attention and fuss being made of her. I heartily recommend searching for YouTube videos on Coco. She was speaking from the heart and just the idea of that connection to ourselves, that's the whole game with Kong through this. Kong is us Mm. uh, at a a level of size that that makes us insignificant to him, but he does care about one little girl. Mm and that's she was a masterstroke because it gets kids to invest in the monkey because like you know if he's just this big screaming thing then the kids would be scared of him but little kids could watch this and go oh he's gentle with her this is a guy i can get behind
1: there's also and i think you you're bringing up uh, planet of the apes i do think the use the, the first sign you see kong use, very obviously and deliberately is home which is the extremely poignant sign that caesar uses when um, he's being left at the uh, the rescue shelter, yeah,
0: and it's his last words to James Franco, Caesar yeah. is home.
1: Absolutely. Home. So I I don't think that was an accident. I think they were deliberately trying to evoke that uh, that motion with that gesture. Caesar
0: um, is the the lucky version of Kong. He gets to have his family and be with apes of his own kind and actually lead a life yeah. and not just get. Killed the way that Kong always seems to in every other movie, apart from uh, a couple of the, uh, the 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 side appearances that the average person doesn't know about, and Skull Island and this. Yeah,
1: but it did it did also make me think that the fact that you've got. Godzilla, who's big lizard, and Kong, who's big mammal, and then humans as well. You've got that sort of...
0: The lizard brain?
1: The lizard brain, the mammal brain, and the human brain, and then the kids kind of provide the connective tissue. So Jir is the connection between the mammal brain of Kong, who's sort of trying to find this balance between fighting for protection and also trying to keep themselves alive because for some strange reason everything seems to want him dead um, and uh, the Godzilla's lizard brain basically just being about react just in, instinctively react to the presence of uh, initially they think it's Kong that's setting him off but then it turns out that it's the presence of Mecha Godzilla. The fact that Madison is involved with sort of the the conspiracy side of things does kind of give this. There's, there's a there's an acting out of survival instinct going on there as well, I think. Um, and then you've got humans at the other end fucking everything up.
0: Yep, we do. I forgot to yeah. mention Toby Kebbell uh, as uh, also doing a lot of performance capture in uh, Skull Island. He was he was the guy <laughs> who got eaten by a skull crawler almost immediately, uh, but he was. Um, Human work, uh, Cobra in uh, the apes films, uh, yeah. but from the sounds of it, they didn't actually use that much in the way of performance capture in this one, which is astonishing because everything ab- I actually said because we watched a documentary on Ray Harryhausen. Um, yeah, what was it called? Titan of uh, Monsters,
3: Titan of Special Effects, Titan of Special one?
0: Effects. That was yeah. it the other day, wonderful documentary, and mm. um, I just felt like i f- that while he was lamenting all the pew-pew-pew lasers of uh, Star Wars as he was entering his retirement age, uh, around about the time Clash of the Titans came out, I feel like Harryhausen would appreciate this film and a couple of other uh, films that show animals like, what, giant kaiju-like Kong in repose and just those little... Moments of just quiet, not being on his own and being sort of scratching and wandering around and looking around. It's it's not the big action beats that make us care about him. It's the seeing the, him behave like something that is most definitely alive and shares yeah. commonality with us.
2: They do a very good job of giving us Kong in his normal at the very start of the movie. Yeah. You know, he wakes up, scratches his ass, takes a shower, gets his exercise in by chucking a tree through a dome. But yeah, they Kong's always been easier to for audiences to relate to. Obviously, ape human much closer than giant lizard, and yeah, obviously, and it's very good that they have the two kids one on each side to kind of give a voice to the kaiju, and you know that's something that these movies have done for a long time. Obviously, the show Beach and with Mothra is the prime example of it. So, like they, it's a good shorthand to keep us having some idea and giving us reference of motive for the creatures while simultaneously also still reverting back to some of the classic tropes within the genre and previous examples of it. So it's a good job they do so. I do feel, unfortunately, that the Bernie Madsen-Josh thing is a bit (sighs) superfluous for the most part. I just wish there was more that they had more direct involvement in stuff later on. And at least, you know, maybe have Madison and Gia meet at some point might have been good. That's what I was
0: getting around to. Uh, Sharon mentioned that they're the managers. Uh, Absolutely, 100%. They are the human connection to those particular kaiju. And if Madison had, in fact, been kind of chasing Godzilla in the uh, past year or so and trying to connect with him... You know, obviously, uh, in to some degree, still mourning the death of her mother, that's something really strong to work on. And that is technically there in the film. So she's invested in Godzilla, and Millie Bobby Brown was very excited to come back to this particular role. Uh, but Gia obviously has, has known Kong, uh, I'm assuming, her entire life, and is very connected with him. And the idea of Madison and Gia effectively arguing using Rebecca Hall's Eileen as a translator. Uh, you know, effectively arguing the toss between these two characters right to exist for for the kaiju to be their avatars as, as to the actual conflict that's going on above them and then eventually for them to, to team up. That's a that's a no brainer part of the movie. I'm I'm really surprised that didn't happen with these characters running about the place and ending up pretty close to each other, but not actually meeting.
2: It would make sense, but you'd have to be kind of careful how you did it because otherwise it might come a bit off like a Pokemon battle. <laughs> you
1: say that like that's a bad thing. <laughs> it'd, be a,
2: it'd be a bizarre thing. Not necessarily bad, but a bizarre thing. But I like the thought of, yeah, if she had been in the interim period, uh Millie Bobby Brown's character of Madison chasing Godzilla, kind of following him more closely, yeah. that would have been a bit better off because then you could have had, and maybe this was something that was on the cutting room floor, presumably. More interactions between her and Ren Sarazawa once they kind of meet and they get taken to the Apex facility and whatnot. Yeah. And maybe there's an argument there of like. You know, they both lost a parent to Godzilla, more or less, and maybe have them. I don't know. Clearly, they're on different sides of the how they feel about it, and that might be a good mm. conversation to show.
3: I d- Especially since they have um, Ren Sarazawa have that. Oh, wait, do we want to use the energy source? We don't know how it's going to interact with the mech. Yeah. Maybe I'm the voice of reason here, and you shouldn't do this, Mister Badman. Mm. And then Mister <laughs> Badman's like, No, I'm Mister Badman. The, Make the science. <laughs> Did I mention that I'm
0: super wealthy? <laughs> And I'll remind you folks again that trillionaire is underlined in red. It's not a word that exists or should exist. Anyway, however, again, they're serving the master of spectacle and they're effectively giving us a joyful wrestling match. And while the 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 two kids, I mean ultimately, it's certainly not that there were time constraints, but as you say the there is there is the vague feeling of it being uh, a bit like a Pokemon battle, but the the other side of it is ultimately a, you know a, a haughty white girl telling a, a girl of color of native descent how it is. And uh, under that point, ultimately, Madison's going to have to back down. Mm. I mean, they yeah. uh,
1: they do use the kids to good effect with regards to the theme of the uh, the the relationships with the kaiju and with the with the titans being a generational thing, which was started with the exploration light exploration of the Mothra twins in King of the Monsters Mm. and here you've got the presence of Serizawa we presume his son or nephew or somebody who is related to him Uh, Emma Russell's daughter um, Gia although we don't know directly who her parents were, she is of the the people who were protected by Kong and uh, Maya Simmons who is the daughter of Mr. Batman.
0: Maya also could have been done with a lot more characterization, She was just yes. sort of along for the ride and then she was like, right, I would just like everyone to know that I am evil, so I'm going to start doing evil things. Oh no, boom! And I'm dead. But and it was almost <laughs> like Kong just grabbed the car and went, no, we're not doing this.
1: Her <laughs> initial oh performance was so good. I was like, oh, they are really going to develop her into somebody. Oh, she's gone. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> see also um, see also Sally Hawkins in King of the Monsters. You're like, oh, she's fantastic. I can't wait for, oh, she's dead. <laughs>
3: Yeah. <laughs> now, yeah. now the way I I really I oh
2: really well, actually have, this like, is the, like the this series. is a
0: heritage of the series. You got oh Brian Cranston I suppose he and his son to... he's dead. <laughs> they do, do that well, and then they have John Goodman. It's like okay, John oh, Goodman John is Goodman
2: is he is fed out oh, he's
0: dead away. <laughs> yeah. What well, I mean, mind you though, Brie Larson and Tom Hiddleston oh they're gone. They just they're gone. They, they've they've gone elsewhere.
3: Yep. Like I mean, come on, bring bring them back like played like. By Jamie Lee Curtis and you know someone British who's the right age. I don't know. John Cleese, like Daniel Craig. There you go. John <laughs> well, maybe
0: not John Cleese. Sure. I just want a called
3: but- Wonder reunion. <laughs> But one thing I really appreciate about how the how the film uses its um, human cast is, while they don't use especially Millie Bobby Brown and like the younger like if we'd had a bit of a Stranger Things energy with the team's meeting, that would have been really cool. Yeah. But the the way they use Millie Bobby Brown's team as like the detectives trying to find out what's going on mm-hmm. is it does at least keep you emotionally invested in Godzilla. Even though be, to bring it back to you talking about this being a wrestling match, his role is to be the heel. He's the asshole. Oh We yeah. like Kong. We're introduced to him. Godzilla. Is the one who's making trouble. It's like no Kong's just trying to help us out. You know, you're getting in our way. You're screwing up our ride, and like you, you want to root for Godzilla to like not be a bad guy who needs to die. But you, you know, you definitely like are are in Kong's corner. Is like no, I want him to. You know, I'm more invested in his story, Mm. and so they do a fairly (laughs) well. Okay, I mean, the 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 movie is very clearly trying to like put kong first in terms of like this is the the emotional through line and and i do feel that we're able to have godzilla be kind of an asshole but still not be completely different from the more heroic godzilla that he is in the previous movie and i i think that is commendable
2: as one might say he's not a hundred percent a dick
3: right I don't know
0: if this was actually being voiced here, but Godzilla himself is somewhat ill-served by a movie that focuses uh, so much on Kong, and then when it's not on Kong, it's on the humans, that Godzilla effectively turns up when it's like, okay, action time, and cue Godzilla. It almost makes him... Uh, the arbiter of destruction when there was a certain level of benevolence about him in King of the Monsters.
1: Well, he feels a little bit like a tidal wave in this. He's under the water, Mm -hmm. then he comes out and breaks things, then he goes back under the water again.
0: Yeah, I think that was kind of what Gareth Edwards was getting at. It's just that he he never actually sort of got to the meat of that Mm. side of
2: things.
1: Yeah, But he does have very much the natural disaster about him.
2: To be fair, whether he's been a good guy or bad guy, that's pretty typical for Godzilla movies yeah, in yeah. general. Is like he he's either a bad guy and he's throughout the movie causing problems, or he's a good guy and shows up when it's time for fighting.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I just I liked the fact that in uh, King of the Monsters, again, this is just something that's slightly lacking uh, in in this one. In King of the Monsters, he he just seemed like a a presence that was definitely out there. And when he turned up, you were just gonna cheer. Whereas in this, when he turns up, you're like, Oh no, like battle. up at the same time, like, like, it's, it's kind of a... Yeah! It's a slightly different cheer, if that makes I'm sense. I'm glad
1: you're here, but try not to tread on anything important. Yeah.
0: And <laughs> there was a definite uh, Pacific Rim sensibility about the actual fights. When they get to Shanghai in particular for round mm. two, there's yep. sort of the pink and green and blue light and they're sort of bouncing off each other. And um, I remember one of the uh, responses to the, the first trailer was, gee, uh, magic stuff. I don't know. And it's like... Give the monkey something. (laughs) This thing can fire a plume of nuclear blue breath, not only up into the sky, but he can bore down to the hollow earth to create a little warp tunnel. So that when Kong comes up, he goes... Also, it's
1: not magic. That is very carefully crafted. That is made out of a monkey bone. And a Godzilla spine thing. He is using the tools and resources that are available to him. Give him a break.
0: I love that it's not absolutely obvious that that's what it is. You have to think about it a little when you're looking at it. Mm. And no one ever says it out loud. Yeah. But then when Godzilla charges it with his breath near the end, when they're both going up against the um, mm. uh, yeah. uh, Mecca, it's, uh, it's that moment in The Avengers where Thor whacks Tony with lightning... At 400% capacity. How about that?
3: Or it's Iron Man deflecting his, his beams off of Captain America's shield to just, like, mm-hmm. wipe through a line of something or other. Bingo, yeah.
1: Absolutely. But that, right, that feeds into the thing that kept kind of getting to me a little bit and Mm -hmm. I I enjoyed the way it was put across but I there was a there was a conclusion I was hoping would be openly discussed and it wasn't and from the beginning of this there are a handful of references to the idea that the titans are rivals that they that the alphas in particular will fight amongst themselves for who gets to be in charge and to me the evidence kept mounting up throughout the film that this was not actually the case and that they are supposed to be a team. And yes, you probably will have one at the front telling them where they need to go, and for the most part, it feels as though historically that's been Godzilla. But the 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 axe with the Godzilla spine that then becomes the key for the beacon, that beacon's not a weapon, it's a it's a phone call. It's, it's a, a pager. Hey Godzilla, we need your help down here. That gorgeous motif of the the Godzilla um Serpent almost that's curved around the bottom that is made of Zilla spines. A number of them would have had to give the apes these spines in order to create that shape to set the beacon off. I feel kind of like what sparked the idea that they might be rivals in the first place was the fact that when uh, Ghidorah turns up obviously they are all fighting and you know Rodan goes over and sides
0: with him because he's a scream whiny little git also notable <laughs> by his absence
1: <laughs> yeah where were you yep. mate
0: yeah I said uh, while we were watching it uh, that uh, Godzilla was actually having problems with Kong at some point and you know if he was going to call for backup Rodan would just make some slimy comment about new phone who dis just to get out <laughs> of actually having to pull his weight absolutely which is yeah. why he's not there
1: Grovadill is never Gonna throw a punch, let's face yeah. it.
0: Yeah, he's just gonna lean out from behind Godzilla <laughs> and shake his fist. Indeed. Yeah. But
1: but the whole point with uh Ghidorah was that he didn't come from Earth, he came from somewhere else. So that he the unbalanced everything. Exactly. The opposition that was going on in King of the Monsters, um, I felt like somebody needed to conclude hmm. in this. That, that wasn't going to happen.
0: It again. is kind of there insofar as what I said before about the harmony of Godzilla above Kong Below.
1: Yeah, it's it's there. Eventually. It's it there are there are visual hints and you can piece things together from XYZ, but I just I feel like there were conversations and and um, kind of like a
0: Frozen 2 relationship. Yeah, there's just, <laughs> well.
1: there's just mm. so much in this that feels like it's it's there, but it's under the surface and it's in the background and it's in the fact that the, in the intro, and this is not me saying that a text crawl by any means would have been better. I love the way they do the, the news reports and the mm. textbook clippings and everything that give you the background on this, but it's presented in a this is all world-building and you can ignore it if you want to. And this felt to me like something that was actually pretty relevant and needed a bit more space mm. to breathe.
0: To, get so to, to lay down a thesis on the film, even if they weren't going to continue the world.
1: Mm.
2: So uh, I like your take, Sharon, uh, Sharon but um, there's a lot of stuff that's actually in the movie that actually goes against that. Sorry. Um, but like they so talk about at the beginning the whole idea of a rivalry between Kong and Godzilla species is from Iwi. It's like, in Iwi mythology, that's the native people of Skull Island. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way, you know, and it's up for interpretation and whatnot, but the way I took it, because knowing that, and also just previous bias knowledge and everything from the rest of the franchise and the universe, is that what they talk about, and what it's into that to me, is that there was... You know, back in the Hollow Earth days, there was both species, Godzilla and Kong, among many other things, and that there was like a war, like between two clans, one Godzilla, one Kong, and the Kongs had this temple that we go to and everything, and that they were able to harness. Because the power that the axe has, with the the Godzilla, you know, Uroboros around the throne and everything, Mm -hmm. is the energy signature from the Hollow Earth, which they say is almost identical to Godzilla's. And so I feel like what what we're hinted at with like the axes and how there's three of them, you got to put them in there, and it's kind of like a charging station for your phone. Is (laughs) that is that it's they you know throughout the wars between the two clans they figured out that, hey, if we take this and put it here, it'll actually charge it up, and that'll be more effective a weapon against them. But then, eventually, the Kongs lost the war against the Godzillas, and then they were driven out of the Hollow Earth, and that's why Skull Island is where retreat. Kong... Yeah, it's the, the last bastion that's like the Hollow Earth to them, and that the generation's uh-huh. remaining Kongs lived on there for however long, and now Kong's just the last one of it, and Godzilla's the last one of his, presumably, and so on and so on. <laughs> like we
0: can pretty much um like not even have to speculate anymore if they've closed the lid on this universe and they probably will uh, then we could just make up any all kinds of fanfic <laughs> at this point yeah i have a particular admiration for versatile headcanon so rather than battering people with your theories about how things absolutely must be it's like you know what as far as i'm concerned prometheus didn't happen but alien versus predator did there is a difference in the fights this time around, which actually is kind of refreshing, but it does make it a different perspective. I was wondering why Godzilla seemed smaller this time, because he'd always that uh, he'd been shot from beneath, and you get a lot of human eye view of him. And of course, it's because Kong's eye to eye with him, so you get uh, quite a few sort of like mid shots of Godzilla's like head and neck, and he's just sort of scowling right up in, in Kong's face. If anything, it doesn't make, make Godzilla look necessarily much smaller, but it makes the buildings look smaller. It's like you're you're more sort of watching this fight from Kong's perspective. I've never seen Godzilla go down on all fours and just come charging forth like an angry crocodile, but he totally did here. And seeing Godzilla effectively beneath the camera, and Adam Wingard was doing all kinds of crazy shit, just like flying, swinging this camera up and over and round to give us a real kind of breakneck sense of of the an immense amount of distance being traveled in a very short amount of time which also made them seem a bit bit smaller because from the perspective of humans they're moving slowly but from the perspective of them they're moving at regular speed
3: one of the ways I think he he used this to to his advantage was um, that that moment where you're talking about where Godzilla goes down on all fours and it's and he's just like I'm fucking done, dude. I'm just <laughs> going to uh, I'm just gonna like crocodile the shit out of your ass and like because you're so used to especially in this this franchise, I've seen Godzilla from the ground level or yeah. from like you know maybe a, a little ways up. You're, you're not used to looking down on him. When he's doing that, it feels off, but also he's so clearly wrecking Kong shit, <laughs> like it makes it feel off and also wrong and scary.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. This was uh, why I was uh, like, it didn't just feel like a retread of, or, or like a shallow diet version of um, King of the Monsters. It was doing something different, but more like an encore after a victorious mm. um symphony yeah. I, it was like okay so there's there's a couple of other things we'd like to get done and here they are and it's it's because there was so much kind of build up towards king of the monsters and like the build up played for the few who loved it and then it's like I, I feel like they they sort of they made the encore into something that actually just regular people could come and see without any, without any prior knowledge at all.
1: There's there's a couple of bits in here that seem deliberately calculated to make it easier for people who'd not seen any of the earlier stuff. Yeah. So just a, a few throwaway comments. When Madison races into the tent to talk to her dad at the beginning, mm. you get a quick capsule review of what happened at the end of King of the Monsters. And yeah. he even says to her, why don't you give your old dad a break? Just to make it clear, yep, he's her dad, he's her dad in dad, case you didn't know.
2: yeah, It's very much kind of like if you take a music group and their individual albums have, there's a certain, you know, rhythm to it and ebb and flow from song to song. But this is more of like a greatest hits album, you know, where it's like, you don't get that same complexity between throughout the entire album, but it's, and we've hit all the things that you know.
3: Yeah, I described this as dessert. Like, I think it's a really Mm. good dessert. It doesn't outstay its welcome. It provides, like, it's exactly what it says on the tin. And it's like a version of that that you don't necessarily expect to see. I really think basically turning this into sort of a a pulp adventure like thing both fits for Kong because going to a weird place where there's weird creatures because you're looking for something is very in for Kong. Mm. I, I think it works surprisingly well, um, but I, I, I agree. I, I think it feels like not necessarily an afterthought, but it definitely feels like a this is the the aperitif for you know. This is the this is the palate cleansing you know. To this this is not like the main course. So actually, that
0: makes it seem like the original Godzilla was the soup at the beginning, and there you were just served it in this giant tureen. You're like, oh god, there's loads of it. I'm I'm gonna be so full by the end of it. Like I just. Do I have to drink it? to To do we do I eat it all? It's like, oh yeah, you must eat all the Godzilla. Okay, and you get all the way through it. And a lot of people were like, you know what? I'm full. I don't need to come. Like some of them came back for Skull Island. A lot less of them came back for Godzilla too. So that means that Skull Island's like the spicy chicken appetizer after that. So you know, just like this one's gonna be fun. And Samuel L. Jackson in that definitely gives you that like that that sense of kind of a peppery, um, you know, enlivening it. After there was no real strong feeling in the original Godzilla. After I think after there's a tragic beginning in that one, and Brian Cranston suitably um, you know screaming with with uh, uh, sadness. But then there's no real strong feeling in the rest of the film. But in uh, Kong in Skull Island, there's this like burning vengeance in Sam Jackson's eyes. He's like, "You killed my crew. I, now I will kill you," and he he kind of becomes this. Ahab. Yeah, the Ahab that uh, that Kong has to be like. You know what? You came onto the wrong goddamn island. Then you get King of the Monsters, which is this like Jacobean banquet of a main meal. So then I love the idea of this of Kong, Godzilla versus Kong being the dessert afterwards. I mean, next time around I might skip the soup.
3: <laughs> I mean those. those- <laughs> those three shrimp at the bottom of the soup oh yeah they were good shrimp, but I'm not sure those three shrimp were worth the entire bowl.
0: Yeah, just the, the how bloated it felt afterwards.
1: What is it? You you you're the waiter yeah. in TGI Fridays going really? I don't think you need one of those entire sharing platters. Each.
0: They're called sharing platters. You both just ordered an ultimate burger. <laughs> I think we know how much we can eat. Okay sir. Okay madam. Oh you're full. I'm so surprised. I am shocked. Shocked, I tell you. Well not that shocked. No you're right. I'll cancel the ultimate burgers. Yes they were made. No it's fine. We'll throw them in the bin for you.
3: <laughs> but to to go back to the way they they use the the like the that they're kind of like wrestling matches, the way they use their environments are like you know, you don't have anything that's necessarily the equivalent of a cage match, but the way they'll confine characters in some ways Mm. and hinder characters, like, you get a complete inversion of, like, their first conflict. Kong is obviously at a disadvantage because first he's waking up from a dope nap and he can't swim as well as Godzilla. And in the second one, you've got Godzilla not ever having to really look up in his life all that much to, you know, Kong using the, the city which i I like that hong kong like the the infrastructure like in our part of the world is not nearly as good as it is as we like to think it is and so like seeing kong like climbing on the buildings in hong kong and being like some of them being like very large i kind of like that it's like oh yeah different you know not everywhere is as fragile as the area in boston next to next to that stadium Hmm. but but you you get to see like you know more aerial stuff and like Kong almost does like you know a good version of Legolas jumping on the collapsing bridge from from The Hobbit. I don't want to completely like, forgotten that sequence. I edited
0: it out of my version of The Hobbit. Continue.
3: <laughs> That's because your version would have only good stuff. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, the, they'll they're very smart. Like aside from the fact that they're approaching this in a much more like fisticuffs heavy way which is good for a change of pace like they're really canny about how they use their surroundings Mm -hmm. i I did like the
0: um the sort of the the over the shoulder almost parkour camera just running up behind kong as he sort of leaps up and over and around the sides of the buildings and again the light shows in this uh, the color from the Warner Brothers logo onwards is just dazzling and oh it's Tom Hulkenberg on the music as well isn't it yeah and it's really good he's amazing I mean Bear McCreary did a fantastic job in King of the Monsters but Tom Hulkenberg is swiftly becoming one of my top five composers especially going right now and um, yeah there's a real kind of like driving rumbling kind of it's got a Mad Max energy let's face it
3: it does, and then it gets like a little bit synthy when you get into the middle of the Hollow Earth, mm-hmm. and like he goes just a little bit off the map. It's really, it's like it would be easy to imagine the guy who did Fury Road just doing another very industrial thumping drum stuff. Yeah, since the tribal. Side. That's also well, especially since that's a lot of what we got out of his work in Zack Snyder's films. But this this feels appropriately big without just being, you know all all noise mm.
1: and the synthy stuff in the hollow earth as well really emphasized for me the the visual effects that were going on down there i i just that that space where the two sides of the hollow earth are in perfect balance together and you've got mm. all of the the rocks just hovering in between the two planes mm. that was beautiful yeah. absolutely amazing
0: I could have spent um, an entire movie just dealing with the Hollow Earth side of things, so uh, yeah. The, what we got was uh, just this fleeting glimpse of this incredibly beautiful untouched place, and ultimately, uh, anytime I see a place like that that mankind hasn't yet gotten to and started drilling for oil or cheese or whatever it wants, it, it's, it awakens something inside of me, and I, just, I feel much more lively in my soul. And uh, this was, it was a joy to watch Kong feeling the same, because you never get to see Kong happy.
1: He well, he's no. somewhere where there are not that there are no boundaries because obviously the Hollow Earth has edges, mm. but that he can run across at his own pace and not worry that he's going to hit
0: mm. coast. Most of Kong's narratives are "get the fuck away from me." Like, it's, it's just, <laughs> yeah. would you please leave me alone? Everyone, pterodactyls, people, giant snakes, lizards, T Rexes, V Rexes, giant spiders, bats—everything wants a piece of Kong.
1: And now, a robot lizard? Are you shitting me?
0: That brings me to my <laughs> next question, though. Uh, let's let's round up because I mean we've pretty much done most of the movie. Uh, Kong is our connection to our earliest selves. He's the uh, connection to the natural world. He's our avatar for, the, you know, the, the version of ourselves that skewed away from the lizard brain. And Godzilla is our desperation to control chaos. Correct? Or... Good reading?
2: Or? Uh,
1: yeah. I would yeah, say in this like case, that.
2: especially considering Ghidorah is the one that, you know, the, the two heads are used for the control unit and yeah. then inside the robot, which if it's not obvious to some people, that's what happens is that Sarazawa gets fried and Ghidorah reawakens inside of it.
1: Yeah. And the fact that what I was saying He's before He's like, about I'm driving now. You're using the Ghidorah head, which is something that is not of Earth. Mm. That, that you I think you're absolutely right. That represents our desperation for AI, our desperation for space travel, our urge to reach beyond what our human selves have.
0: But it's the cautionary tale of trying to get there too fast without really working out how to make it safe.
1: Absolutely. You're using something that an alien left behind.
0: Um, But what does, uh, for a start, um, there, was there a Mecha King Ghidorah? Because I'm sure I saw one one time.
2: Yes, there was. In 1991's Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah. <laughs> there you go, though. Um, <laughs> I like the fact that
0: they, they maintained that it being Mecha Godzilla rather than re-evoking King Ghidorah, but with extra heads. and like well, It's like it's two regular Ghidorah heads and one central Terminator head. Mecha right? head, yeah. yeah. They, they kind of made it a hybrid between that one and the classic um, Mecha Godzilla. But my question to the group is... If Kong is our past and Mecca is a warning of our future, what is Godzilla in this context? And what has Godzilla been interpreted as over the years that fits with this film?
3: Well, what I interpreted this was less about Kong being our past and more like these things, these three separate Titans that the movie focuses on being different expressions of like how we interact with the world. And the way that we interact with the world when it's Kong is it's these, these wonders of the natural world that sometimes they need our help. And sometimes that means we need to make scientific advancements and we need to get them where we need to go, but we need to follow them, we need to respect them, we need to try and work in harmony with them. Godzilla is when you try and take this sort of thing and weaponize it and corporatize it and profit and, like, make it for profit, and that just turns into something that only, you know, that just begets war and death and weapons of mass destruction and things that will eventually spiral out of your control. Mm -hmm. And then Godzilla is like, he's just the hurricane, you know, some, the forest fire is sometimes the forest fire comes in and like more growth happens later. You know, they kind of hinted that a little bit in areas the Titans have visited in King of the Monsters. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, you kind of get out of the hurricane's way and hope that it leaves you alone. (laughs)
2: <laughs> That's definitely a way, and the, these movies have kind of uh, done, gone a bit more to that, and you can get a glimpse a little bit more of it from Pacific Rim. But uh, Alex, as you were saying, of Kong in the past, my Godzilla being the cautionary tale of the future, in that respect, I look at Godzilla in this particular case, based on what you were, your setup there is. He's the check and balance of when you move too fast, like Ian Malcolm would say, about, you know, William genetic engineering like a kid who found his dad's gun. Godzilla is the fuck around and find out.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
3: that's a very eloquent way of putting it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't make robots out of the alien skulls. Do you want Pensacola? Because that's, that's how, how you, you get, get Pensacola. Pensacola.
0: <laughs> right? I really, like, I really liked and appreciated the few exchanges that Godzilla and Kong had. I was hoping for something a bit more, like not exactly a fist bump at the end, but kind of a, like almost a, like something approaching a back pat or, or,
2: or something. You like, wanted the scene at the end of uh, Jurassic World where Blue and the T-Rex have that weird little conversation. Yeah, well, but no, you, no, that, no. That, what you, uh, <laughs>
3: No, you you need the end of Fast and Furious Six where the Rock goes up and he and he steps up next to Vin Diesel, but he's not looking at him. It. It's like not bad for a cop. Never thought I'd trust a movie. It's like,
0: how no, about family? What- <laughs> Honestly, I was just two seconds off saying that exact same thing, man. We're simpatico.
1: Indeed. But I, I do think the way Godzilla actually ends up behaving, he is kind of doing that grumpy dad thing. Don't make me come in there, yeah. because if I come in there, I'm cracking skulls.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, I I do think there's, there's a little bit of, of like back and forth, there's only so much expression they're allowed to put on Godzilla according to the deal with Toho. Like, oh yeah, Toho is very mm-hmm. yeah, Toho is very strict about like you can't give Godzilla too many feelings, which is why when he looks like tired in the 2014 movie or mildly pleased about getting in that cheap shot on Kong in this movie it's kind of like oh wow that was an expression because normally he doesn't have those and so like they had to be very careful about putting that in but huh. but just the fact that you know He's he's kind of, like, coming into this movie, he's like, man, I had to save the world in 2014 because giant monsters wreck and stuff. I had to save the world from the giant fuck-off alien, and now there's more giant monsters. It's like, stop with the giant monsters. Put the axe down, Kong. Put the axe down.
2: <laughs> okay. okay. Kong's <laughs> very much, uh, like, side quest in Godzilla's main plot of I feel the presence of Ghidorah still. I'm gonna go kill that. And then Kong just keeps showing up in the way and just be like, you again? All so right, let's deal with this.
0: So translate the bit when Godzilla has Kong down on the ground and just roars into his face, and then Kong halfway through just goes, "Oh for fuck's sake!" Ah! and roars back, and eventually Godzilla sort of sits up and goes, huh.
3: <laughs> "Well, it, it's about humble." Like, yeah. Yeah, like um, this is um, uh, the the other Brendan um, who was was on the King of the Monsters show. Like his read is that Kong needs to be humbled because you know the the world is bigger than just the the stuff that he knows, and so like he has to be willing to make room for for other monsters in it because every other monster Kong's ever come across is just like, well, you're dead now, and but there there are some who are going to punch back a little bit. And so Godzilla's just like, no, stop pushing this fight. Stay down and And Kong like intentionally lowering the axe is like it's it's almost character growth nice <laughs> yeah.
0: I really like that as a reading um Dan
2: yeah it's he's pretty much close on that like God's all roaring in his face while he's pinned him down is very much of like say Uncle,
0: say it <laughs> <laughs> So when it's Kong goes, he's like, it. Fine
2: uncle! <laughs> exactly. It Godzilla does... has a smile and be like, there, that wasn't so hard. I'm gonna go deal with this that I was here for the first time. It... it is notable that
0: Godzilla doesn't then just kill him like he would anyone else. But
1: it does it does give the feeling a little bit that Kong is young, that he is if, if humanity are the tiny children that keep fucking everything up, Kong is the teenager.
0: Which is yeah. that's, it's strange in terms of how he's been depicted here because he is very much a sort of a middle-aged Wolverine version of Kong he's got some salt and pepper more of a beard look that they gave to Caesar in the third Apes movie Mm. and he's got more scars, and I loved it when he had to slam his shoulder back into place. I've literally done that with Abigail. I love it. Just on that
1: subject of the the colouring on his fur and the scars as well, I did make a note about how impressed I was with the the visual texture that they managed to give them both. Effectively, when you think about it, they are dealing with two massive dark grey creatures, Mm. but they managed to Mm. make them, you know, they, they have different... Um, you know textures, textures, and, and the way the light exactly, mm. yeah, the way the light hits it looks very different all the way through, and it just means that when you're looking at those things, and obviously you've got all sort of the vivid colours that are going on around them anyway, but I just really like the way they manage to distinguish between them and, and make it very easy to to see them as real rather than them just becoming this sort of shadowy mess.
3: I also think you're right on the money, Alex, about like Kong being on the younger side because I think Marlowe in the in Skull Island mentions him being kind of like almost a baby, like he's still growing. Oh, right. And yeah. so, uh, was and it so, me like, who said that? I'm sure someone else who said that Kong was young. It was Sharon. It said, I it said he was, was a teenager. I don't know. Well, yeah. Right. Well, or, or, or just, yeah, but but whoever said that that he comes off as younger, because we can maybe surmise that Godzilla was around to be worshipped by that proto-Atlantean civilization that mm. then got sunk, and we see when Sarazawa sets off the nuke in the hollow Earth. Mm. Like that's, that's kind of where that's where he came from. He's, he's thousands of years old versus like maybe you know hundred 150. Like Kong's definitely not been the only big gorilla on the island for more than his own living memory so we can kind of surmise that skull island like he's he's been around there as himself for like maybe a century before we find him on skull island because he's he's still like growing like he's at least twice as big in this movie as he was in the first one
2: yeah i'm try, i'm having trouble remembering the exacts of like the timeline because there are like uh supplemental comics and other things for both godzilla 2014 and kong skull island uh 'Cause like he Kong has a really young baby basically does watch his parents get killed by skull crawlers and whatnot. So it's yeah, he's definitely younger. He's definitely younger and Godzilla is definitely, yeah, the, the grizzled veteran or father ish figure, if you want to go that way. Just being like, All right, look, you're you're acting up, you're in my way, I'm here doing something, and you're just causing a ruckus. It's like a child interrupting a Skype meeting, uh, you know, no. uh, phone call. Oh, no. Just be like, hey, hey, put it down Everybody give me a moment (laughs) and it's like, you know, you know, mutes the the mic, turns off the camera, goes over, it's like give me that
3: Godzilla has left the chat to deal with something.
0: Oh, I, I honestly, I look forward to the next phase of let's try kaiju movies with huge budgets because it'll happen again at some point. I mean, frankly, I feel like Marvel will have a go at it. Maybe Devil mm-hmm. Dinosaur will meet. I mean, they could do the Savage Land at any point. And it'll then Fox will be like, you mean we could have done the Savage Land at any point?
1: Not at any point. <laughs> Only when it was funny. I
2: mean, I'll say though, I'm not sure that. It, I mean, there's a good chance, but I don't think it's entirely certain that this MonsterVerse is done because there yeah. has been last week or so this big outcry and hashtag continue the MonsterVerse, and there has it's been getting some traction, and because of the box office success, quote unquote, in a COVID age still that it's, you know, doing really well on that matter and also is not being panned by critics. I feel okay,
0: like now mind- I'm like Hawkeye in Endgame going, don't give me hope.
2: I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Look, if anybody's saying don't give me hope, it's me for yeah. this genre. But, yeah, I mean, it's possible. Mm. And I'd love to see... I'd love for there to be more and for this to continue on because I I have ideas. <laughs>
3: Well, I'll say this like it's it's already been like more successful in China than than King of the Monsters was and for all that it's almost certainly not going to break any records for the series domestic wise like just the the optics of this being the movie that like restarted audiences going back to movie theaters like that's already that's already a notch in its belt it's so, got goodwill as well I mean the, yeah. the
0: amount of like excitement generated for it online with that monkey punch lizard for weeks and weeks before the uh, <laughs> before it was released
1: in part because that's all there was yeah but still yeah and, and that's
0: king the of best. the monsters came out just just after Endgame. No one gave a shit.
1: But that's the other thing that they've, they've got to be taking into account. This made about the same money as King of the Monsters, you said, yeah?
3: not far off yeah it's I mean, like domestically know. it's close
1: right okay yeah, we so, also
2: don't know what like the how much the studio got for the whole HBO Max deal either indeed. so, so True, that's yeah. something that, that
1: they, they will be factoring in behind the scenes but we don't necessarily get to see King of the, the Monsters was the 386
0: pieces. this made 357 although right. it's still got a tail on it
1: exactly it's still yeah. out there and the other thing is they have got to adjust for pandemic for it yeah. to make the same money under the circumstances where very few people are going out it didn't even get a release in numerous countries because they, there's no point. The cinemas are all shut.
0: For comparison, another huge blockbuster that had every reason to uh, to do fantastically, Wonder Woman 1984. Ugh! Um, like I- ignoring what we actually feel about the film itself, like it's a high-profile DC release, uh, two hundred million dollars, and it made one hundred sixty-six million. It and that's lost
1: internationally.
0: It lost thirty-four million dollars. Mm. So uh, ultimately, the, the Kong vs Godzilla looks a lot healthier in terms of continuing that. I mean, there will always be more DC films, but this one was always much more of a question mark. Mm.
2: Yeah. And there's always something else to consider. Is that? And this is always in my expectation. You're never gonna with these catching movies get a billion dollar movie. The, the yeah. market, the, the the culture, and the genre is not large enough. To generally make that much kind of money superheroes, Marvel, DC, that's pretty ubiquitous, I mean especially now these days but everybody's grown up reading some form of comic book, mm. not everybody has watched a bunch of kaiju movies so I've always sat there and been like yeah yeah people are saying oh this you know kotm bombed in the box office i'm like no it made a profit just not a ton of profit mm. but it made it a profit and like you look at you know uh, godzilla movies from japan how it's released and you know those don't even get international releases mm. and a lot of those still you know some of those have still lost money and this franchise has continued anyway so yeah. you know i feel like just because of the, you know, UK and the US and everything, our expectations of, like, box office and what, like, Metacritic and Rotten Tomatoes and so forth provides a unrealistic expectation for this particular genre. Yeah, so.
0: agreed. Jurassic World made a billion dollars. Those kaijus are small. <laughs> we can offer you so much bigger. <laughs>
3: Right? Yeah, but but we remember <laughs> Jurassic Park being a really good movie and yeah, so any exactly. movie that has Jurassic yeah. Yeah. in its name gets an extra 50 million dollars mm-hmm. on opening weekend
1: here's your choice True do story. you want one kaiju that's a thousand feet tall or a thousand kaiju that are a foot tall
3: compies?
0: no! I'll have Godzilla thank you
1: <laughs> I tell you what, if they do not continue with this monsterverse and I know they won't because it just doesn't have the brand recognition but I would love to see a Gamera remake Make. I know that oh, the, the
0: yeah we ones we saw the, that God. long ago we saw the 90s Gamera trilogy I was saving that for the end so that's oh, that could be now uh, we saw the 90s gamera trilogy on Dan's suggestion uh, the other week uh, we yeah. they were on uh, an arrow video sale where we could rent them for like a buck or buy them for a uh, three bucks and it was like I'll just buy them great so you get these lovely arrow transfers and um they it's a, it's a dan do you want to tell tell folks at home why g- the gamera trilogy is good can you fit it into a minute
2: uh yeah first of all talk about the 90s not the show era of 60s and 70s those are terrible don't watch them <laughs> but the 90s it, had, it has a fresh take on the the uh, genre at a time where godzilla was not in theaters and it's a nice compact trilogy that has most same recurring characters and a through plot one, two, three for the most part, which is nice. The effects are done by Shinji Higuchi, who is one of the best uh, effects directors out there. He worked on uh, Shin Godzilla, among other things. And the director, um, uh, Kaneko, he did GMK from 2001. He's got a really good eye for this sort of stuff. And it's just some of the best practical affects uh, kaiju stuff that's out there. So I would very highly recommend it. it. Also has a serious tone to it.
0: Yeah, the um, and they actually also get better as it goes along. One's one's yeah. good, two's better, and three might in fact be the best of them. So uh, yeah, it Gamera. I agree.
2: Uh, but yeah, I would love to see Gamera come back. Oh, there Gamera, was. Sorry. One, well, it, no, because the dubs say Gamera a lot, so it, either which way. Um, but in 2015, after the coattails of the 2014 Godzilla, there was a fan-made CG trailer that was—it wasn't like a prank, but it was like an idea and like, a hypothetical, a, like Rocky yeah, versus uh, Nathan
0: yeah. Mason, the line Dixon in Rocky Balboa. Like, we want to see this happen, and then it did.
2: Yeah. So they did, like, somebody made, like, a CG, like, reboot Gamera trailer. It had the Gauss in there, the flying bird ones, and another creature briefly. And it looked really cool. I mean, it didn't come to anything. It turned out to just be a little fan project. But when it first came out, everybody was like, oh, my God, is this really going to happen? Because please let it happen. And, yeah, the big missing out thing that's never happened is Godzilla versus Gamera. And, mm. you know, we've only been clamoring it for it for 55 years now. See, I would want for
0: uh, uh, another one to for for Godzilla and Gamera to be the uh, the the central, but like we've already done now, like just these two are the central. Fight, and we've already done the the King of the Monsters, and then the world knew about them. So maybe just like all monsters attack uh, and get Mothra in again because we say, love her. Except
1: Mothra, who sat at the back going, "Oh, for the love of God, guys, can we stop?"
0: <laughs> just to have her flying around like th- 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 flunking people to walls and <laughs> protecting humans, and then.
1: Hey Mothra, I need a heal. I didn't tell you to go racing in there and take on Ghidorah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I thought I could take it. In An MMO raid. <laughs> Like why are you aggroing the trash? Why? Stop it.
0: So yeah, I mean honestly, because of the monkey punch lizard side of this, that if they are going to somehow continue this, like again, speculatively, they need to go big and go home, if that makes sense.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, I mean and they've done it before with the destroy all monsters yeah. and Godzilla Final Wars, which is basically a newer version of Destroy All Monsters and Yeah, like just get everybody in here. Just everyone in the pool everybody we haven't yeah, seen a royal yeah. rumble if you will go in exactly yeah. oh, that'd be lovely um,
1: I just had a really twisted thought that the humans entry into this particular monster fight is some giant wicker man with a load of people in it trying to walk no, the no
0: it's Ultraman I'm assuming <laughs> right oh, that will be Jet Jaguar okay Jet Jaguar then. okay, okay. school of movies is funded by patreon we are kept going by you kind supportive people at home thank you and our 15 dollars sponsors get credit every episode so a special thank you to aaron lecluse abel sabard alex outridge angus lee benjamin hoffer brian novak cassandra newman chris finnick christopher wolf kieran dashler connor kennedy dan mayer daniel salguero dan hepner dave hickman David Shealy, Duran Barnett, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joe G., Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Mark Lux, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras and Valencia Burns. And if you're at the $5 level on our Patreon, then this week's quick review, which we're now calling After School Club 45 minute rewatch of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is Captain Marvel. So that will about do it for Godzilla vs Kong. We hope if they ever meet again, They'll be buddies. Thank you very much to our esteemed guests for giving us a great deal of expert kaiju perspective. Before we go, where can you point folks in the direction of the work you're most proud of? Uh start with Brendan.
3: Uh, well, you can find me on uh, normannerd.blogspot.com where I've actually started just uh, posting more reviews, um, including uh, recent theatricals like uh, Raya and the Last Dragon, um, you can also find me at uh, Synapse. That's C I N A P S E dot C O, where I contribute to their uh, their two cents entries every now and then. Oh, and um, I've actually been like part of the uh, Matinee Heroes podcast guest lineup. Um, I've got an episode on the Arnold Schwarzenegger zombie drama Maggie that I'm uh, that I was that I was very pleasantly surprised with, and that should be dropping sometime within the next couple weeks. Nice. And
0: Dan, I know you've been doing a load of Kong versus Godzilla stuff, right? Sorry, Godzilla versus Kong stuff right now. Um, what would you like to nudge people in the direction of?
2: Um, you can find my podcast, the Leftover Army Monsters Giant Podcast, all out of tack. Uh, that's on part of the Greater Leftover Army Podcast feed on SoundCloud and iTunes. That's mostly where you can find me. You can find me on Twitter uh, at Mighty Megatron Zero um and coming up here in a couple weeks is the second episode that alex and sharon were both on when we talked about the original tremors movie so that was a great time having it we recorded it a few weeks ago but there's always a bit of a tale there's a there's a uh, hopper of stuff to get through, but obviously Godzilla vs. Kong and the subsequent Godzilla, King Kong vs. Godzilla had to take precedence. Absolutely, but yeah. That, but that one will be coming out soon-ish.
0: Yeah, the uh, the Tremors show was just so much fun and great episode. I, I thoroughly recommend folks check it down. And yeah, as- by the
2: way, th- thanks for, you know, helping Eric with his continued... Uh, uh,
3: dude,
0: uh, where's my car referencing? Uh,
2: <sighs>
3: <laughs> You're very welcome. Thanks. So, At least it's on brand for the energy and tremors. <laughs> <laughs> True.
0: Next week, we kick back into gear on the Disney shows again. we got two sequels back-to-back with Ralph Breaks the Internet and Frozen 2, followed the week after with Raya and the Last Dragon. Brendan Agnew of Synapse, thank you very, very much for coming on.
3: Of course, my pleasure.
0: And Dan Hepner of the Leftover Army Monsters podcast. Thank you.
2: Oh, you're very
0: welcome. I've been Alex Shaw.
1: I've been Sharon Shaw
0: and School's out. Out.
1: Make me do a you roll <laughs> for the sign-off. <laughs>